0: Xbox president, Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher, Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at bloomberg.com techsf.
1: Look, I think the crypto industry more broadly, if it's gonna have any success going forward, has to come into compliance with basic public policy about disclosure, about avoiding conflicts, about properly segregating customer funds, and guarding against fraud manipulation. Without that, this whole area stands a chance of collapsing like a house of cards.
2: That very serious sounding person is Gary Gensler. He's the chairman of the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission and perhaps the most feared and loathed man in the world of cryptocurrency. In the eight months since the shocking implosion of Sam bankman frieds FTX exchange, Gensler and other federal officials have stepped up their demands for stricter federal regulation of the industry. The SEC has also launched lawsuits against two of its largest players. Bloomberg's Hannah Miller and Alison Verspril report that all this government scrutiny has spooked some investors and raised serious questions about the future of crypto.
3: Yes, it got this mainstream recognition, but the stakes were that much higher. So these falls, these scandals, these implosions, they've just hit the industry super hard.
4: One of the things that we have to remember with these two lawsuits we've seen so far is that they could just be the tip of the iceberg.
2: I'm Wes Kosova. Today on The Big Take, can Washington and crypto learn to get along?
4: Sam Bankman-Fried has been arrested in the Bahamas, and we got that confirmation from the Bahamas Attorney General. We're going General. to try to calculate the contagion here because investors are not expecting much in terms of recouping their funds here. There's been so many twists and turns in the case that U.S. officials are building
2: against FTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried, but now we have... Hannah, I think by now all of us are really familiar with the spectacular failure of Sam Bankman-Fried's FTX exchange. And in fact, just to give you a shout out, you recorded a whole podcast with Bloomberg and Wondery called Spellcaster, The Fall of Sam Bankman-Fried. It is terrific, by the way, and I encourage everyone to give it a listen. Can you start by telling us what's happened since? Because the entire industry has really been shaken to its bones.
3: We're still seeing fallout, you know, from the collapse of FTX there are companies like BlockFi that had FTX exposure that had to file for bankruptcy there have been lawsuits against celebrities who endorsed FTX i'm talking about Steph Curry, Tom Brady, Giselle Bündchen. the other thing too is that the cryptocurrency market is still reeling i mean it's lost about 1.8 trillion dollars in value and you know there are a lot of questions on whether this industry can survive never mind thrive the US securities and exchange commission recently filed two lawsuits against Binance and Coinbase, which are the two biggest crypto exchanges. You have
4: two different things happening on two different days. You have Binance, the largest exchange in the world. But some of the allegations being made against Binance are very different than the ones being made against Coinbase here at Binance. Coinbase is
3: at- based in the U.S. Binance does not have an official headquarters, but is, you know, sprawling across the world and has run into issues with regulators around the globe. So these are two, you know, very powerful companies, very different in their own ways, but both of them are facing regulatory trouble at the moment.
2: And we're going to get into all the details about those lawsuits in just a little bit. But, Ellie, I wanted to ask you, because you cover financial regulation, Washington has been taking a really hard look at crypto from the very beginning Why has it been so hard for them to kind of put guardrails on this industry the way they do with others?
4: So, I mean, it's been really difficult because it comes down to basic characterization, right? Nobody knows necessarily, or at least there's a gray area over which digital assets are securities that would be regulated by the SEC. Or are commodities that currently, you know, if you have a a futures-based product on something like Bitcoin, that can be regulated by the Commodity Futures Trading Commission. But anything kind of in the underlying commodity basket would be regulated at the state level
2: right now. All right. So let's take a second and define our terms here because this gets pretty weedy and yet it's really, really important to understand. And one of the big tensions here is, is cryptocurrency a security or is it a commodity? And can you tell us just a bit about the difference between those two things and why it matters so much?
4: Yeah, so securities were kind of uh, regulated under this test that's called the Howey test. It's from a 1946 Supreme Court ruling. It was actually related to sales of tracts of uh, Florida citrus groves to investors. So nothing to do with, you know, what we traditionally think of securities now
2: which are stocks. Really, I think most people would think of it as, you know, a security as a stock or a bond, something that you would invest in.
4: Yeah, I mean, at the simplest level, it's basically anything that involves investors kicking in money with the intention of profiting uh, from the efforts of an organization's leadership. So, you know, stocks, for instance, if I invest in Apple stock, you know, I expect that Tim Cook or Apple's leadership are going to make certain decisions that will increase the value of that stock.
2: So you're investing in an enterprise, like a company. Yes. Or even like, in the case of a bond, a government.
4: Right. And, you know, so if you're not a security, which is regulated by the SEC, then maybe you're a commodity, which uh, could eventually be regulated by the CFTC if Congress acts. And so, you know, a lot of people will say that they think digital assets are more like commodities, that they're more like digital gold. Um, And there's actually laws that kind of just list out what commodities are. So that's wheat, gold, you know, some of those other things we think of. And so the main test that the industry has kind of put on itself is, you know, is there some sort of central entity that's making decisions to, you know, increase the price of a crypto asset? And the industry has kind of increasingly developed their projects to try to get more decentralized, is how they call it. And so that's kind of a, a development that we've seen over the last couple of years. It's also, you know, I will point out that the crypto industry would prefer to not be regulated by the SEC. This is something that would be really costly for them. There are all of these disclosures. There are stricter investor protections, even though the CFTC will say, you know, our rules are just as strong. And there's also this question right now, you know, the CFTC doesn't really have the ability right now to directly regulate uh, crypto tokens. It would need Congress to act to actually make that possible. They can regulate Bitcoin futures, Ether futures, but not necessarily the tokens themselves.
2: Hannah, you've written in great detail about the really rough state of the crypto industry. And when you look back to Bitcoin's high point in 2021, when I think crypto was at like $69,000, what surprises you most about where the industry finds itself now?
3: Yeah, well, the crypto industry is no stranger to scams, scandals, crimes, uh, things like that. But I think the scale of these obstacles that it's faced in the past year or so was just unimaginable prior to this. I mean, nobody saw the collapse of FTX coming. That was preceded by, you know, the implosion of Three Arrows Capital, which was a major crypto hedge fund. Celsius, a crypto lender, went into bankruptcy. So it's just been one thing after the other. And the pace of that has really just thrown the the industry off. And it's been very interesting to see, you know, both founders and venture capital investors who were once the industry's biggest cheerleaders. It's been very startling to see some of them start to migrate away and look at other industries like artificial intelligence. You know, that's like the newest tech trend that's usurped crypto at this point.
2: And also a lot of people who weren't big name investors got burned, too. 100%.
3: I mean, there are still people waiting to get their money back from FTX. They have no idea whether they're going to be able to recover, in some cases, their entire life savings that they put on this crypto exchange. And I think what also sets the crypto industry apart is that so many celebrities, you know, started promoting crypto companies, doing commercials, promoting coins on social media, particularly in FTX's web. You know, they did a commercial with Larry David during the Super Bowl, you know, where he was supposed to be this crypto skeptic, but was overall, you know, lending his face and his fame to this company.
2: Like I was saying, it's FTX. It's a safe and easy way to get into crypto. Yeah, I don't think so.
0: And I'm never wrong
2: about this stuff.
0: Never.
3: So I think that has also put a lot of people on edge, that here you have these very wealthy individuals, these famous people promoting these companies and cryptocurrencies, profiting from it, and they may have not seen the same fallout that just individual investors have. And, you know, FTX, they renamed an arena (laughs) uh, in Miami where the Heat plays. After FTX, you could see Coinbase's logo on basketball courts for NBA games. MLB umpires wore FTX patches on their uniforms. Like These companies were everywhere and it was really crazy to see them breaking over into the mainstream.
2: After the break, the government takes crypto to court.
0: OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at bloomberg.com/techsf.
2: Ellie, we mentioned a little bit earlier about these two lawsuits that have been filed against the two biggest of the crypto exchanges. One is against Binance. Can you tell us about Binance and what the charges are against it?
4: Sure, so Binance is actually facing two lawsuits. There's one from the CFTC that was actually filed first uh, earlier this year, and then we had one filed in June by the SEC. Both of these have registration failures, essentially, you know, operating as unregistered exchanges or clearing agencies. But then we also have a slew of kind of different accusations over mishandling customer funds. That feels a little bit FTX-like. There's
1: parallels here to the FTX uh, fraud and manipulation that we saw. And we allege, uh, against Sam Bankman-Fried, where he had uh, a sister organization, Alameda, and the special arrangements with that trading platform, FTX.
4: For instance, the SEC alleged that a total of at least $190 million was transferred from the U.S.-based Binance exchange uh, to a, an account with this company called Sigma Chain which was a trading firm that, you know, the SEC said was controlled by Binance's CEO, uh, Peng Zhao, who goes by CZ. So
1: here, Binance had a sister organization controlled by Mr. Zhao called Sigma Chain. We allege that they had uh, corrupted their uh, trading volumes by a lack of risk controls about their affiliates, Sigma Chain and wash Trading. There are challenges of custody throughout this space. There's a business model that bundles and commingles functions that we don't see, nor would we allow elsewhere in finance.
4: And so basically they also said from that amount, there was $11 million that was withdrawn to purchase a yacht. Some of that money was customer funds. There was another, you know, firm that was controlled by CZ that also was kind of seeing commingled customer money and company money. We've also seen in the CFTC side of things, they're alleging that Binance took kind of purposeful steps to evade U.S. laws to allow American VIPs, for instance, to access the international exchange illegally. Also not having sort of effective anti-money laundering procedures or safeguards for determining the true identity of customers. So we're seeing a lot of different allegations thrown out there against Binance.
2: Hannah, can you tell us a bit about Binance?
3: Binance is the leading crypto exchange in terms of trading volume. It really outpaces its competitors. It's probably the biggest name in the industry. And there's been a lot of, I think, intrigue and interest in this company It has this very global presence. It does not have, you know, an official headquarters. Uh, It does have a big office in Dubai. But this company has clashed with regulators in many of the countries it's done business in, including in the U.S. And its CEO, CZ, you know, he's a very interesting figure in crypto. He has sort of this cult following. He's active on Twitter. He is very confident in the business his company does and the influence that they have over the industry. So it's been very interesting to see how they've reacted to the lawsuit. You know, CZ kind of shook it off. He has this signal that he tweets to followers, which is the number four. And that means to ignore FUD, which stands for fear, uncertainty and doubt. It was number four on his list of New Year's resolutions. That was it. Ignore FUD. So when he does four, that's what he's talking about. It's a company that is really leading the way. So for it to have these issues in the U.S., I think at this time, it's really questionable about whether Binance can ever do business in the U.S.
4: And I'll jump in there, too. I mean, I think one of the things that we have to remember with these two lawsuits we've seen so far is that they could just be the tip of the iceberg. So we know from prior reporting, including our own, that uh, the Justice Department, the IRS's Criminal Investigation Unit, they're also investigating Binance. So we could see charges come from those avenues as well. You know, those, those things are still ongoing. So we haven't had any sort of resolution, but it's something to keep an eye on.
2: And Ali, you mentioned something that I think is important, which is that the government is coming after them in part for their failure to register. And that kind of gets at the heart of it, right? Because these crypto exchanges say, well, they're not subject to the sorts of regulations that would make them have to file. So what do they say about that charge?
4: Binance is an interesting case, right? Because you have Binance, kind of the international company, and then you have this separate entity called Binance U.S. that is supposed to be separate. But, you know, these lawsuits both sort of allege that that's not actually the case, that Binance U.S. is just sort of a, a front for the international company. But even so, setting that aside, a lot of U.S.-based crypto exchanges will say, you know, we don't have to register with the SEC because the tokens that we have on our platform are not securities. We've done internal vetting. We've determined they don't meet the Howey test, that test of about citrus groves that I mentioned earlier. And so that's kind of the argument they've made. They've also said that At times, they've tried to attempt to work with the SEC to register and that they claim, you know, SEC chair Gary Gensler is just doesn't really want them to register, doesn't provide a pathway for them. And so that's kind of the point that we're at right now.
2: And so those are the cases against Binance. Let's now move to Coinbase because they too are the subject of a lot of scrutiny.
4: So in the SEC Coinbase case, They basically said the company was operating unregistered securities exchange, broker, clearing agency. Chair Gensler has repeatedly said he thinks these different functions, like if you're holding assets for customers and allowing them to trade, that... These should be separate regulated entities, so that's kind of what they're dinging them on here. Claim that the SEC is making that they are acting as an unregistered broker-dealer and listing unregistered securities, which has been up for debate in the crypto community when it comes to regulators, at least for for a long time now. Coinbase, we know, says that a lot of the things that they've listed are not securities, while the Securities and Exchange Commission believes they are, and they have a very and they secret- also said that 13 of the different crypto tokens listed by the exchange were actually securities, obviously things that Coinbase
2: has denied. And Hannah, tell us about Coinbase. Coinbase
3: is the first publicly traded crypto exchange in the U.S. Its CEO, Brian Armstrong, is a force within the industry. They have really made a name for themselves. They follow behind Binance in terms of trading volume when you look at crypto exchange rankings. And Brian Armstrong, you know, he's really tried defending against uh, the SEC's allegations by pointing out that, hey, you guys approved us to go public. How can you say now that we're in violation of federal securities laws? But in talking to legal experts, they've said that this is actually not an adequate legal defense, that just because you get an IPO approved does not keep you from being
2: accused of federal security law violations. And Hannah, when you talk to Coinbase and talk to Binance, what do they say about these charges?
3: They've really always kind of directed to the responses that their respective CEOs have put online. Binance also did an extensive blog post denying the allegations. Both Coinbase and Binance have also been extremely critical of the SEC's approach here, that they say, you know, we've been asking for regulatory clarity in the U.S. and You've just provided enforcement, like you've never laid the groundwork for us to effectively register our tokens as securities. So there's, I think, a lot of tension here between these crypto exchanges and between the regulators. And what a lot of people in the industry are pinning hopes on is that these lawsuits will drag out for years and that there will be time for changes and developments within the industry and that maybe they'll find some way to adapt.
4: Or even, you know, a change in the administration, someone, maybe you have a Republican president or folks come in that are a little bit more sympathetic to the crypto industry. But also, you know, I'd like to point out with the the argument about this going public and, you know, you allowed us to go public, so it's unfair that you've brought this lawsuit now. And talking with former officials, they've made sort of the same argument and they've said it's mostly when companies go public, it's about disclosure and making sure that they're making proper disclosures. And you see that in the early filings that Coinbase made. You know, they say that the rules around digital assets and what's a security and what's a commodity are unclear, that they, you know, could potentially face regulatory scrutiny. So a lot of that is kind of forewarned in those documents.
2: And Hannah, we've been hearing about how the argument of the industry is that crypto is not a commodity. Crypto is not a security and shouldn't be regulated. But why do they say that? Like, what is their argument to say you should buy this, but it should be entirely free of regulation?
3: The industry has long argued for decentralization, you know, that they are focused on peer to peer interactions with people can engage directly with each other that middlemen are cut out like brokers and i think they've also argued that crypto is different that this is a financial tool that this is a technology that can change the world and yes they've argued for regulatory clarity and you know clearer guidelines and things like that but that doesn't change the fact that there are serious questions over over whether
2: crypto tokens are actually securities so they're arguing that they're intrinsically different than than other forms of investment that are regulated.
4: The argument that they'll make is, for instance, if you're a token issuer, so you issue, you know, XYZ token, they'll argue that, you know, the current rules just don't, make sense, that there are unique aspects of blockchain technology that aren't, you know, conceived of in, in, in existing rules. And so they'll say, SEC, we really need you to come in and, and update this because we actually can't even register because we can't abide by the current disclosure forms or the current rules. And the SEC will say that's all baloney. <laughs> you know, it, it seems both sides are sort of entrenched right now and kind of their thinking.
2: So, Allison, we have these multiple lawsuits among government entities. When you look ahead, where do you see this going? How long will it take for these cases to kind of play themselves out? You know, I think we
4: could see these going on for years. We also see on the fringes other regulators getting involved. So banking regulators putting out warnings about banks kind of working with crypto firms or taking deposits from crypto companies. We're definitely going to continue to see Congress attempting to write legislation, though getting something across the finish line is always difficult, as we've seen uh, in the past. The main pieces that we have right now are Patrick McHenry. He leads the House Financial Services Committee and Glenn Thompson, who leads the House Ag Committee, have a big bill that they've been working on to kind of make it clear what's a commodity, what's a security. Can you start as a security and then be a commodity, which the crypto industry argues for a lot of the tokens. Under
1: your leadership, this year's exchange commission has brought nearly 50 separate enforcement actions against digital asset firms. At the same time, you've refused to provide clarity on whether digital assets offered as part of an investment contract are subject to securities laws. And more importantly, how these firms should comply with those laws. You're punishing digital asset firms for allegedly not adhering to the law when they don't know It will apply to them. It's nonsensical.
4: So that legislation is being worked on, but right now it's mostly Republican backing. So we'll see if it can get Democratic support, especially in the Senate, that it would need to, to get enacted.
2: When we come back, what do crypto purists think about the government's plans to regulate the industry?
0: From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.
2: And I guess I'm kind of wondering how we got to this point, because when crypto first started, it was this kind of new, exciting thing, a little C to the pants. Uh, it grew very quickly, probably much faster than anyone expected and that was part of the allure for a lot of the early investors. Can you talk about what these kind of founding principles of crypto are and do they still exist or are they now just kind of evaporated as we've seen how crypto works in the real world?
3: I talked a little earlier about, you know, this idea of decentralization and peer-to-peer transactions. So, you know, cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin were seen as ways for people to easily, you know, exchange money in a trusted simple, decentralized way. And it's been very interesting to see in the evolution of the industry that, yes, there are people who still want it to be decentralized, but centralized entities like Coinbase, like Binance, have really stepped in and gained a lot of influence over the industry as a whole. So I think... For crypto, it's gone through many evolutions. A lot of people point to the the cyclical nature of crypto that you have these booms and busts, but that it always comes back. I think what's different this time around is that the scale at which everything has happened. Like you saw these extraordinary highs and these incredible falls and Crypto did break over to the mainstream, like people knew what Bitcoin was. You know, my grandma was asking me questions about Dogecoin, which is a a joke cryptocurrency.
2: That actually took off and people invested in it. Like we started as a joke, but then became real.
3: Yeah, exactly. So, yes, it got this mainstream recognition, but the stakes were that much higher. So these falls, these scandals, these implosions, they've just hit the industry super
2: hard. Well, you mentioned earlier that Congress has taken a hard look at this and there are some bills at least advancing through committees. Who gets to decide ultimately how crypto is regulated?
4: I mean, so right now it's kind of being left up to enforcement actions. And it's sort of a battle of wills right now between the SEC and the CFTC I mean, you'll see the Binance lawsuit is a really good example. Both of them listed Binance USD, which is a type of token called a stable coins pegged to like the U.S. dollar. And basically one of them said it was a security, the other said it was a commodity. So you'll see those kinds of things continuing to pop up in lawsuits, and then that'll have to get worked out by the courts. Congress can step in to define these things. And in the bill I mentioned from McHenry and Thompson right now, they do kind of require the two agencies to come together and decide on certain definitions, decide on regulations. It does sort of keep, you know, anything that kind of qualifies under the Howey test I mentioned, that's still under the SEC's remit. And crypto firms can come in and say, we think we're decentralized enough. They certify that to the SEC. SEC can object. And, you know, we kind of go through this process. Ultimately, to make things A lot clearer you probably need Congress to step in. But, you know, that's kind of the place we're at right now.
2: And as you say, I mean, that's so dependent on politics, where you have a very activist SEC under Joe Biden, whereas if you had a Republican president, maybe they wouldn't be as activist. if you have a Republican Congress versus a Democratic Congress. So, so much of this is at the whims of just Washington politics.
4: It is. And I will say, you know, one of the the points that people have made to me is with the crypto bills or proposals that we're seeing right now, they've kind of said if nothing advances by this fall or maybe even the end of this year, that it probably won't advance before the presidential elections, because everyone knows that once you start getting into kind of campaign season, things sort of slow down on the Hill. So it could mean that we're still waiting a year, two years, you know, maybe longer before there is actually any sort of congressional action.
2: Hannah, you've written that given all the troubles the industry is having in the U.S., that Coinbase is now looking at other markets around the world. Are they getting a warmer reception outside the U.S.?
3: Yeah, so I had the chance to sit down with a Coinbase executive who helps oversee their international strategy, and he really spoke about how they're doubling down on their efforts outside of the U.S. So for right now, their top international market is the U.K. We've seen the UK government express, you know, some friendliness towards crypto and you've already seen people seize on that. Andreessen Horowitz, which has one of the biggest crypto venture funds, actually is planning to open a new office in London and cited this warm environment there for crypto. So, you know, we've already seen it happening. People are looking abroad, they're recruiting talent abroad. Other markets that are interesting is, you know, just Europe as a whole, they actually have regional legislation for crypto that people see as a better approach than the enforcement actions that U.S. regulators have taken. And then also in Asia, Singapore and now Hong Kong. Hong Kong was previously pretty anti-crypto and has kind of come back the other way. So those are two growing crypto hubs in Asia.
2: So despite all this scrutiny, despite the whipsawing up and down of Bitcoin, all the collapses, all the drama we've seen, people still want to put their money in this.
3: Yeah, there are still true believers. There are still people who, you know, are holding on to their Bitcoin for dear life and, you know, are, are invested in this industry. Hannah, Ali, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Thank you for having me.
2: Thanks for listening to us here at The Big Take. It's a daily podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartRadio. For more shows from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. And we'd love to hear from you. Email us questions or comments to bigtake at bloomberg.net. The supervising producer of the Big Take and the producer of this episode is Vicki Bergolina. Our senior producer is Catherine Fink. Rafael M. Seely is our engineer. Our original music was composed by Leo Sidrin. I'm Wes Kosova. We'll be back tomorrow with another Big Take.